Let's get rolling. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, but uh, this is going to be a little bit of different. In, in the midst of preparing this week, I kind of took a little bit of a side journey than I'd planned on, which is not shocking, uh, but not completely. Because I, I, the, the biggest thing that we have been focusing on here the last few weeks is, number one, is in the idea of spiritual warfare, understanding what it is, and ultimately what it is not. We think spiritual warfare is us going to war for somebody else. Okay? That's what we think. But honestly, it has more to do with us defending ourselves, if you will. The whole armor of God. Yes, we can't intercede for people. There's no question about that. But the primary focus in Ephesians 6 is that we are prepared for the attacks of the enemy. We don't go in and unarmed. We are prepared with this armor on. It's just put on. In fact, let's just read it. Uh, well, just the first verse here, Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That means by putting it on, you're not born with it. It doesn't come through osmosis. When you get born again, he doesn't just hand you the armor and tell you how to put it on, right? It is something that we have to do. The wiles is the method of which the enemy comes in. And the method of which he comes in is through our mind. That's what those words mean, methodos. It's that he just beats and beats and beats against our mind until he breaks through. Now, Paul, when he is sitting here writing to the church of Ephesus, is looking at Roman armor. And uh, if we had more time and wanted to go that direction a little bit more, we would focus on that and show you all the nuances of, of what this armor was and what it did. But it was meant to protect the soldier. But there was one part in here that really held everything together. Okay, And if I were to say, what is that? Most people, you want to know what they tell me? Sword of the Spirit. That's where most people go. It's the belt. It's the belt of truth. Because the belt that went around, it locked in the breastplate. It held the sword, which was usually on their left side. And it locked in all the parts that guarded their thing. In other words, truth is the linchpin that holds everything together. You guys following me? So in other words, what you believe is incredibly important. Because if you don't believe what the Word says, then you'll never receive the promises that are in it. You guys with me? So if you believe something that is incorrect, then why would you ever expect to receive something? One of the arguments we have, and you guys know that we focus a lot on apologetics. The young guys back there have really been getting into it here the last year and stuff. And guys, just so you know, you need to be praying for these teenagers. These guys are constantly talking to their friends and their peers and stuff, and they are doing a fantastic job, I just want you to know, because there are a lot of them cannot, can no longer overcome the objections that these guys are presenting on their worldview, which is a lot of fun. And that's part of the reason we sent them to that camp. So thank you very much for that, guys. That made it possible. But you think about it. Is Islam true? Does Allah exist? Does he exist? Because they're saying that he does, and he is God. Now, what is the common notion in today's world? Allah is the same God that we worship. They just call him something different. Well, is that true or is that not true? It's not true. How do we know? It's contrary to Scripture, right? When you dig into the beliefs, it is not the same thing. They, they worship a different God. What does that God demand of them? Sacrifice. What does our God demand of us? He sacrificed. Obedience for us. We don't sacrifice for Him. How do you get into whatever they call heaven? There. You lay down your life. 
He laid down our, His life for us. That's how we receive it. Now, is there sacrifice after that? Sure there is. But it's not to be made right with God. That's just one of the many reasons that, that there's a difference. The other thing would be is what they believe in Jesus. But here's the thing. They willingly lay down their lives, right? We hear about it all the time. Suicide bombers, they, they run into school. In fact, it was just a thing came out in New Mexico that there was a Muslim extremist training teenagers how to go into school shooting. They weren't even teens. They were young kids. Yeah, very young. Okay, In New Mexico, that's our country, right? You think that's an isolated event? I don't think so. But anyway, they willingly lay down their life, and you're sitting here thinking, like, why would you ever do that? It's so obviously not true. Would they willingly lay down their lives? Well, they do. Why? Because what they believe they believe is true, even though it's not. So people willingly lay down their lives for a falsehood that they believe is true, but they will never willingly lay down their life for something that they know is false. Think about the apostles. Why did they all get martyred? Because they knew the events of which they stood on. So that brings us back to this. What is this? We have to define our terms. We say, well, we got to believe the word. That's great. What is that? What is the word? Oh, it's the Bible. That's great. But do you realize that the words on these pages is not what makes these powerful. The words on these pages are events in history. This is the written copy that we have. The four Gospels are eyewitness testimonies of the events of Christ. The book of Acts is the eyewitness testimony of the apostles and what they did. In other words, these are events in history. So this isn't just a book that was written by men. This is a, a categorizing of things that actually took place on this earth with the hand of God involved. Thus, if we don't go back to what the truth is, then we can never stand on it. We have to have that. We have got to know how to handle situations when the enemy comes against us. And guess what? He does it every day. Think about it. Have you guys, I mean, I, I know I'm not alone in this. But like, we get to a point with our thought life where it's like, we're just not thinking God thoughts. We're overreacting, we're emotional and things like that. A few months ago, I told you guys like, I have, was just at a point I was very spiritually drained. There was just a lot going on and a lot of things pulling on me. I just all at once, it just happened, and that happens every, from time to time. So what do we do about that? Well, we step back, we lean on God, we get refreshed by Him. We don't go in, you know, it's like some people take sabbaticals, that's all well and good. Sabbaticals drive me crazy. I don't want to sit still, I got stuff to do. You know, so we, we step back. But do you know how I recognize that I was at a spiritually drained point? It's because my emotions were out of whack. I was overthinking everything. Somebody would say something, and I'm thinking it's always going to the worst. And I've learned to recognize that. Now, why was my thought life so important there? Because it was getting me down. I recognized it for what it was. Thus, I had to do something about it. You guys follow what I'm saying? Uh, it's so important that we get that and that we stand on this word because we've got to have truth on our side. If what we believed was not true, then we're all wasting our time. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, when he's talking about the gospel, that Jesus died he was buried, he was resurrected according to the scriptures, right? He's going back to the scripture. He didn't start with, guys, I watched this happen. 
He started with according to the scriptures this took place. And then he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, then by five hundred at once. Now he's giving a testimony. He's like, y'all, if you don't believe me, go ask him. And that's what he's getting at. You see, these are all events in history. We have truth on our side. And he says that if, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then you're still in your sins. If Jesus didn't really resurrect, then you're still in your sins. So that moment in history is the linchpin that turned everything. It wasn't that he died. It wasn't that he was buried. A lot of people have done that, right? Muhammad did that. A lot of people have done that. It's that he rose again. Because in that, he conquered death. You see, because death couldn't hold him because he was sinless. He had no right to him, the sin of the world being put upon him, but it wasn't his sin. And so we see these things take place. It's an exact picture of the Passover lamb, right? How do we know that? Because we can go and study this stuff. Did you realize that when, when God told Moses, here's what I want you to do, I need you to get a lamb. It has to be without spot and blemish. It's got to be perfect. And I want you to kill the lamb. He didn't stop there. Right? What was the thing that they had to do before that angel of death would pass over? They had to apply the blood. That was it. That was the moment. There was that one thing. You could do everything else right. But if you didn't apply the blood, you were still going to receive that judgment. You see, we don't know these things. And we don't recognize these things because we don't know our word. We don't get into the scripture. Uh, Kyle was telling us about where she was at just this, uh, the last three weeks. If you wonder where she was, she was in, in New York and was sitting under a guy named Arnold Fruchtenbaum. I think that's how you say it. I like the way Janice says Fruchtenfrier. Yeah, that guy. And uh, he's a great Bible teacher. Now, he would have some different stuff that we would all maybe think dis- differently, and that's okay. But, but she's sitting there underneath his teaching and learning stuff. And then she messaged me and she said, I'm hearing stuff that I've thought differently on. And her immediate response is like, I'm going to have to be a good Berean. I'm going to go to the Word. I'm going to search those things. Because is it possible what that she's believed in the past is wrong? It is possible. Is it possible that she's right and they're wrong? That's also possible. Is it possible that they're both wrong? Yes. Is it possible they're both right? No. It's not. So she's doing the right thing. We go to the Word. So you guys see how the Scripture is everything. This is the thing that holds, it's the glue that binds us. Because it is the foundation that was laid. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So, if that is the case, how do we know what to do? What weapon do we have according to Ephesians 6? It's the sword of the Spirit. In other words, that Word of God must be the filter of which everything goes through. And if it doesn't line up, then it doesn't stick. That means when you are thinking negatively about yourself, outside of the things of God, I don't mean negative self-image like, boy, I wish I was blonde or I wish I was a brunette. That's stupid. Get over that stuff, right? I wish I was a little bit thinner. Well, maybe don't eat so many donuts. You know, I mean, whatever. You got Isaac in the back, he'll eat 12 donuts, and, and I gain weight watching him do it. So, but, but the thing is, is, is that we have got to get over this stuff because we have got to see ourselves how God sees us, right? The lens of which God sees us is through Christ. Thus, we are redeemed. So why do we walk around so meek? Why do we not recognize that God is using us right here, right now, in this moment? 
He's right. We, we don't know what he says about us. Do you realize that all of us are in active full-time ministry? If we're born again, that is where we are. And some of us are elevated to different positions, but do you realize that those different positions are not hierarchy of authority? It is a different calling than God. My call as a pastor does not make me any closer to God than maybe yours being someone different. Do you know that some people are simply called to just exist and be a light and go and talk to their neighbors? You may never carry a five-fold ministry gift, and that's okay, because honestly, you can be much more effective without it. I talked to more unbelievers years ago when I was in the business world than I do today, and I talk a lot today, but I was always around them. I was always seeing them. We were talking, you know, and we would always, I'm always looking for the opportunity to turn that conversation to something spiritual. It's all about the Word. It's got to be the Word. See, we don't go after things carnally. We go after them the way God tells us to do. We're obedient to it, right? And so we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So when the enemy's sitting there telling you, it's like, well, you're not fulfilling your calling, or you sinned and you missed the opportunity, we've got to take that thought captive, and we've got to say no. We watched that happen with Jesus. What did He do? When the enemy came against Him and brought Him temptation, He turned it over with the Word. He didn't, go, he didn't call Tony Robinson, I'm going through a rough time here, can you help me out? He didn't call somebody, he turned to the Scriptures. Why do we do the opposite? Why don't we follow the example of Christ? It's the Word, Hebrews 4. For the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing. Even the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Right? It's the Word that separates what God thinks versus what we think, versus what the enemy says, versus what the world says. It's the only thing that can discern the thoughts and the intents of one's heart. Nothing else can. So we have to know it. And it all comes back to this. How is the enemy coming against us today? It is not just trying to make you feel sad. It is trying to make sure that you don't know what God said or what God thinks in any situation. We go back to Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, who we know is the devil, was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said? This is, guys, this is the first temptation. Now think about that for a moment. Adam, Eve, perfect world, right? There's no death. There's no sickness. You don't have to till the garden. You don't have to weed the garden. It just makes food. You know what else you don't have to do? You don't have to water the garden. What do you do to receive what God had for you in that garden? You exist. That's it. Because it was taking care of it. So everything's perfect. Now, why didn't he attack them in some other way? I mean, this is the devil. He's cunning, right? He's crafty. It's pretty early on in creation. Maybe he hadn't come up with a whole bunch of stuff yet. The only way he could get her to fall, to sin, is to get her to question what God said. That's it. Has that changed? But look at what we do to do spiritual warfare. We go to all these troubles, right? I told you guys about the thing that was going on in the late 80s where they were renting skyscrapers and airplanes and, uh, and they would dress in military fatigues. You guys are looking at me cross-eyed. Okay, some of y'all, listen, 
it was an entertaining part of life. Let's just put it that way. I was young in the late 80s, but, but I remember it. It didn't happen anywhere I was, but I remember seeing it. They were the army of God, and they would dress in military fatigues, and they had to get up to the high places so that they could do spiritual warfare. So thus, skyscrapers and airplanes. and It was a very expensive time in ministry, apparently, because chartering jets is not, not cheap. Okay? There's only one problem with that. Jesus and the apostles didn't have skyscrapers or airplanes, and they seemed to do okay. We, we took this part of the word, and we're like, oh yeah, we got to get up here and do that. How effective do you think that really was? Pretty much not. Pretty much not effective. Right. I mean, didn't do a whole lot. We're putting on a light show for you guys. It was not effective. Why? Think about this. Okay. If you know the word, convinced that it is true, and believe every word of it, is there anything that the enemy can bring to your mind that would make you doubt it? Okay. The answer is no. If we are fully persuaded, right? Fully persuaded that God is able to do what he said he would do. The answer is no. Now, what if we took what we know and we teach that to the next person? They would think the same way. So is there anything the enemy can do against them? No. And then you go teach somebody else and they teach somebody else. We get the ultimate pyramid scheme. The best one ever invented, right? Take that, Plexus. So here we've got, but we've got a bunch of people whom the enemy cannot get into because they know the word. That's spiritual warfare. It's called discipleship. We don't do it anymore. What we have today is we have discipleship programs. And we buy the latest program that's online with a video series and we sit down and we talk about it. And it's not teaching you how to read and understand the scripture. It's teaching you one small segment of it isolated around verse. And most of it has natural implication and not spiritual implications. It's most of it. It's like growing a church today. Did you know that there are programs that you can buy? I can buy a year's worth of sermons today with all the artwork, and they guarantee you that in two years your church will double. And they charge you for the privilege. I mean, $29.99, you throw in a set of steak knives too. I mean, this is the stuff that's going on. And guess what, folks? They wouldn't do it if people weren't buying it. That's the whole thing. What happened to the days where we just stuck with the Word? But we don't do that. We turn to all these other natural things. Now think about it. If we don't do warfare carnally, why do we try to do everything else carnally? Why do we get moved so much by the things of this world instead of what God has said? Now, look at what James 1 says. We read this last week. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. You're deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing the natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So he's, what, 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 what we're getting at here is that if you're not doing the word, a doer of the word, you've dece- deceived yourself. You notice he didn't say that the enemy deceived you. You're deceiving yourself because you've got yourself convinced that, oh, yes, I'm in a good spot. I'm doing good things, right? Now, think about that. Doer of the word. It means we're doing what God said. Yes, let's let's simplify it. That's what it is. Whatever God says, that's what we're doing. 
Now, how many people in the church world, big C, all the different denominations, put all of that together, have convinced themselves they're on the right plane because we have a food pantry, we give uh, food to homeless, we give clothes to homeless, we, do, uh, we, we give money to this thing and that thing, we do these different things. Are those good things? Yes. The part that's always left out of that equation is the spiritual side. We're meeting their needs now. That's great. We need to do that. If somebody's poor and they need help, great. We need to help them out. But we never get to that step of the spiritual side. It's like there are ministries that are doing work in Israel, and they're providing food, and they're doing some different things like that. Those are all great things, but you know what they're not doing? Sharing the gospel. So basically, they're just prolonging how long before somebody ends up going to hell. We don't think of it that way, but that's really what we're doing. We're so focused on our immediate gratification that we don't look at the bigger picture and the things that are out there spiritually speaking. You know, when somebody gives their heart to the Lord, they, they're struggling with some past sins, some things that are going on, so on and so forth. It's, it's normal. It's not uncommon. And I always tell them, said, wait six months. Wait one year. Wait two years. You will, if you continue to follow God, get into the Word, learn the Scripture, all of that, you'll eventually look back and you'll laugh that you ever struggled with that. Now, not everybody does that. Not everybody keeps with the Word and keeps going and all that other stuff. Many of them just quit. It's like, well, I got enough. You know? But it is amazing that when you see that, they go back. You see, it's all about this foundation we talked about last week in Matthew 7. Foundation of sand, foundation of rock. Exact same house is built. There was no distinction other than the foundation. It was the same wind. It was the same flood. It was the same rain. Everything was beating against the house the exact same. However, the outcome was different because one was founded on the rock. That was it. That was the only distinction. It survived because of that. There's a meme going around, I should have put this up there, I didn't think about it, where it shows two different dogs and they've gone through mud. You've got a really short dog where the mud's up to here, and a really tall dog where the mud's up to here. And it was saying, like, you shouldn't judge somebody's circumstances because you don't know what they're going through and everybody handles things differently. But you know what the one commonality was? The height of the mud. The mud was the same, but how we go through it is different. So we're either founded on the rock or we're not. You see, in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter is kind of laying it out there. He's talking about elders. And he's, which elders, you could say pastors, you could say a, a lot of the overseers, kind of the same terminology. They have a little different positions, but we're not going to get into all of that. But he is encouraging these guys, okay? Verse 1, 1 Peter 5. The elders who are among you, I exhort, okay? So there's multiples. He's talking to a group of people. I who am a fellow el elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ. Stop there. What did he just tell them? I saw... Everything that you've heard, I was there. I watched him get beaten. I watched him get hung on the cross. I watched him die. I watched him get put in the grave. And guess what else? I watched him come back out. I'm also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Now, what's the flock of God? We call that the church, right? The people that are among you. In other words, hey guys, whomever the Lord has put you in charge of, shepherd them. What does that mean? That means that we go out, we're there for them, we lead them, we help them, we teach them, we guide them. With what? The Word. 
serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Boy, that I could trail off into like you don't even know. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but by being examples to the flock. You guys ever heard a pastor that just lured over people and they got a, a heavy hand? And I mean, there was a, a friend of mine, his pastor in church, that his predecessor had told people, if you leave this church, you will go to hell. Yeah. The sad part is that some people believed it. You know why they believed it? They didn't know the word. But to be an example to the flock. In other words, you should be able to look to these elders and see what you should be doing and how you should be doing it. When the chief shepherd appears, that means there's one above them, referring to Jesus, you will receive the clown of glory that does not fade. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Why does it say that? Because you don't know everything, right? These guys have been around. These guys have been trained. They know the word and all of that. You submit to them and you listen to them because they're not lording over you. They're not, they don't have dishonest gain in mind here. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, so now we know who we're talking about, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That tells us something. What does that tell us? Who has control over whether that lion can devour you or not. It's us. Think back to what Jesus said in John chapter 10, which says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Who is he referencing there? It's not the devil. It was the Pharisees, the false teachers, the ones that should know the truth of the Scriptures, but they don't. They were the ones that were coming to steal, kill, and destroy through their teaching. Why? Because they're leading people away from their Messiah. He's looking for somebody whom he may devour. He's like a roaring lion, which means he's making a bunch of noise, but he's not really a lion. You, don't you have a chihuahua or something like that? Okay, whatever. Well, let's use chihuahuas then. Uh, okay. Have you ever? Listen, those things think they're a lot bigger than what they are. Right? Like a roaring lion. They bark incessantly, and they shake as they do it. I'm good, thanks. I, I, I'm good, thank you. These little chihuahuas are out there and, and they're, they're barking so loud and so much. And, and what are they going to do to you? Like, ruin your shoelaces? I mean, I, I remember there, when I was uh, growing up, there was a movie called The Leprechaun that came out. Okay, some of you may remember this movie. Don't go watch. First of all, uh, well, a little different. But listen, we're not going to dog on Lucky Charms. Those are, that's Jesus cereal right there. Is the leprechaun, it was this thing. Jennifer Anderson was in the movie. She was very young back then. And he goes around killing people. He's this tall. He killed a man with a pogo stick. It's so stupid. And I remember watching this. I'm thinking, kick him. He's this tall. Just kick him. Like, what's he going to do to you? Nothing. Well, unless he's got a pogo stick, apparently. I think it's a B movie. It, it was really not good. Um, but but it's, it's, it's like a royal... So he's making a whole bunch of noise. And what do we do? We back down. We hide. Seen the Wizard of Oz? Man behind the curtain. He was the controller of it, but he's got this big intimidating image up there that everybody feared. 
So our adversary, the devil, this is coming from the Word of God, Peter's mouth, inspired by God, is nothing but a noisemaker. And he's looking for somebody whom he may devour. So why would you let him? So what do we do with it? Verse 9, we resist him. Who resists him? It's us. It's not your neighbor. It's not your pastor. It's not a good spiritual friend of yours. You resist him. How? Steadfast in the faith. What's that talking about? Our knowledge of the things of God. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. What suffering? It's, there's a contextual thing there, but ultimately everybody, he's coming against everybody. He's trying to get us away from the things that we know are true. You see, if he can convince us that what we believe is true is not true, then we will no longer act on the things of God. If we are convinced that we should preach the gospel at all times and if necessary use words, guess what? We'll never use words. There's not one example in all of Scripture where people looked at one of the apostles, one of the, the, um, the deacons, anybody like that, where they just say, you know, those guys are living a pretty good life. I wish I could be. I wonder what the difference is between them. That's never, ever happened. Ever. First of all, back then, they were all getting kind of slaughtered and things like that, and life was pretty rough, so nobody was looking at them, you know, saying, hey, I wish I could be more like them. It's kind of like when we talk about the nation of Israel and, and how God has a plan for the Jews and, and things like that, and there's a lot of Gentiles that have tried to make themselves Jewish, and, and I'm thinking, these guys have been, like, tortured for thousands of years. Why would you want that? I don't, I don't understand, but, but be that as it may, is that we, we should let our light shine. But why don't we tell people who that light is? Because we've got ourselves convinced through this, this little saying, this cookie cutter saying, that it's like, oh, I just let people see my light. I was doing a baccalaureate one time. I was the keynote speaker. And they had this gal, and she was from a Lutheran denomination. I don't know which one, because there are several of them. And she got up there and, and got up speaking. I had all my notes planned out. I was ready to go. You know, I always present the gospel, these things. Because baccalaureate, if you don't know, is, um, is a spiritual service for the graduating class. And some cities have them, some don't. I used to, you know, go around and speak at different ones of these things. And this lady gets up there, and she was kind of the, I don't know what she was, her actual responsibility, but she said that, made the comment, and she's like, you know, um, I don't normally talk about my faith because it's a very private thing that we just keep to ourselves and we just worship God how we see fit. I changed my notes in that moment. And I got up there and I said, yeah, my relationship with God is a very personal thing and I'm about to tell you all about it. And I guess what? I tell everybody about it because we are supposed to talk about this and share our faith and why we're different and share about why we have hope and faith in God through the resurrection. We've got ourselves convinced from things outside of Scripture. Where did that come from? But did God really say you need to go and share your faith? Didn't He just say you should let your light shine? That's what He said. That's what He said. We should just do that. You don't need to say anything. What if you offend them? What if it's awkward? Hey, what if they ask you a question you don't know how to answer? Right? For anybody with kids and Public school nowadays, they're coming home with math questions that you don't know how to answer. It's called Common Core. Nobody knows how to do that. But we're okay with that. Guys, think about all these different things that are going out there. Where do you think this stuff came from? He's got you convinced. Oh, you're doing just fine. You're doing great. You go to church every week. That's all you need to do. People know you go to church. Right? Why do we stop so short? 
Let's put that in another light. We believe it is God's will to heal all. And we believe that when believers lay hands on the sick, they recover. But why don't we go lay hands on the sick? Why do we wait? Like, why do we wait till a Sunday service to go pray for sick people? Where, where, where is that in Scripture? He didn't say in James to call for the elders and wait for your next church service. Just let them know you're coming, that you're not feeling well. Wait for the service to come about. Make sure there are donuts there, because that'll help. And then the prayer of faith will make them well. It doesn't say that, but that's what we do. We, we, we wait. We don't go, because we are not fully persuaded of what God says about healing. You know what we are fully persuaded are? Salvation. And not just what we believe and what Scripture says, but we've got a whole generation of people that are convinced that they're going to heaven because they're a good person. Where did that idea come from? It did not come from God. You see, this is the problem, is that the adversary of the devil is like a roaring lion. He's making a bunch of noise, and he's bringing these thoughts into our heads, and we run with these thoughts without doing what she did, was telling us about, that we test them against the Scripture. Remember how we read last week that we test everything? Everything means everything, not something. Every thought that you have should be tested against Scripture. We see examples of that with Jesus in Matthew 4. God said, in Romans 15, verse 1, it says, We then who are strong ought to bear the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Everything that happened, according to Paul here, was written for our learning. So now we know why it was written down. And that because of that, through patience, which means you ain't going to all get it down in one day, and the comfort of the Scriptures. Wait a minute. What is comforting about genocide that's in, in the Old Testament? What is, what is comforting about the enslavement of the Israels? It's the parts that we're missing. The reason those things happen, and the God whose hand was upon it, bringing them throughout, always keeping a remnant there, that the Messiah could come into this world so that you and I could be saved. And not only that, that he came to die, but he also resurrected. That's the comfort. So what's what we know? Because of what the Word says, I don't care what's going on in life. I don't care how bad it gets here, because it's just temporary. That if I die tomorrow, I am in the glory of God. Don't cry for me. I'll be just fine. But we don't do that. We don't think that way. We've allowed the enemy to get in because we don't know the word. In 1 Peter 2, verse 1, Therefore, laying aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, this is you, newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word. Okay, that's good. We should desire, desire it, right? Why do we do that? So that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted the Lord is gracious. You want to grow? How do you do it? Not going to prayer meetings. It's the Word. Prayer meetings are important. We need to do that. You know why we need to do that? Because the Word says so. Right? I mean, do you realize that there's, there's the, after the sword of the Spirit, it says praying and prayer at all times is, a, is considered a weapon as well. It's a lance. It's this big spear-looking thing. You see, it, coming back to the Word, 
The reason we have prayer meetings is because the Word says that when you pray, believe that you will receive and you will have it. And we're praying. And it also says that we intercede through prayer on behalf of other people. Right? That's why we do it. We give in, in the offering because we know that it's God's hand upon it and that He will bless it and He's the one that meets our need. How do we come up with that? It's because the Word says so. We believe that when we lay hands on the sick, they recover. Why do we believe that? Not because we've seen it, because the Word says so. It all comes back to that. And if you don't have that foundation, then you are built upon sand. And when things get rough, when that wind blows, when that flood rises up, and the rain is coming down, you will fall because you're not grounded on Scripture. Now look at Matthew, or in Matthew 22, Jesus dealing with the Sadducees here. It says, the same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection. Now let's stop there for a minute. Who are the Sadducees? You've got Pharisees and Sadducees. Pharisees are the ones that are in charge of the Sanhedrin at this point. Okay? They're the ones that are giving Jesus a hard time. Later on with the apostles, it becomes the Sadducees. This is a political thing that's going on. And the Sanhedrin was kind of like their supreme court. And so the Pharisees were kind of the literalists. They were the ones that were the keepers of the law and all of this other stuff to an nth degree that was never intended. But the Sadducees didn't believe in angels. They don't believe in the supernatural. You can read about that in Acts. Here it says they say there is no resurrection. Where did they get that idea? They didn't get it from the Word. And these are the spiritual teachers of Israel. And there was a bunch of them because they take power. It was a political system. So where did they get the idea that there is no resurrection? Well, did God really say that there was a resurrection? Did He really say that? Now look what He's doing here. They say there's no resurrection. They came to Him and asked Him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died, and he had married and had no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, those uh, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Okay? So this is one of those hypothetical questions that will never, ever happen. Right, Jared? Jared asks me these stuff all the time. All the time. He's always coming up with the most off-the-wall stuff. Why? Because I have squirrels with knives running through my head. I think he's got chipmunks. Okay? (laughs) They'll grow into squirrels. So they're asking this completely off-the-wall question, trying to catch him in something. So you're saying there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. And so whose wife is she? Because she's been with everybody, right? She's married all these guys. Look how Jesus responds to them. You are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. He never directly addresses the question. He says, you don't know the Word, so your question is invalid. These are the teachers of the Word, and they don't know the Word. This is the world we live in, guys. You see, we are so pulled to and fro because we don't know the Word. We're everywhere. There's a, a movement in Omaha that's going on right now where it, uh, there's a, a Muslim mosque, a Jewish synagogue, and a Christian church, and they're all coming together. And the tagline on it, I went and looked the other day, I'm not going to say it exactly, but something like this, where it says that we are bringing these together in harmony, all of the original uh, faiths of Abraham, Abraham bringing together. 
So we know Judaism came from Abraham, right? Okay. Did Islam? No. Ishmael, his son. Right? Did Christianity? Yeah. What's the difference between Judaism and Christianity? One believes in the fulfillment of the Messiah. Christianity didn't trump Judaism. It didn't take it away. It didn't make it go away. If, if a Jew becomes a Christian, or a born-again believer, I should say, um, they don't become a Christian. They become a complete Jew. You guys follow me? I know that's weird to hear, but that's really what it is. They are now a fulfilled, completed Jew because they have received their Messiah. Remember, it was their Messiah. Their rejection of him has brought it and opened it up to the Gentiles. Thank God for that. But here we are. You don't know the Scriptures, nor the power of God. If you study this out, guys, every time he's dealing with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, any, any of them, it all comes back to you don't know the Scriptures. Remember what Nicodemus said in John 3 when he came to him, who was a Pharisee, and he was a leader of the Pharisees? He came to him at night because he didn't want anybody to know he was going there. And he's like, how do I get born again? And he says, well, or he says, how do I get to heaven, I guess? And Jesus said, you must be born again. And he says, well, how can I get back in my mother's womb and be born again when I'm old? Okay? And Jesus is like, are you a teacher of Israel? And you don't know these basic precepts? In other words, uh, hello, you should know this. This is where we're at, guys. You see, the enemy comes in like a roaring lion. He's making some noise, but he's constantly saying, did God really say that? Can you really believe that? I hear it all the time. You guys realize in Genesis 6 that angels came down from heaven and they took for themselves wives because they thought the daughters of men were beautiful. And they got married and they made babies. Those babies were giants called Nephilim. Can we all agree that that's weird? It's weird. But what do you do with it? Well, you know what most people do with it? And this is taught by seminaries? Well, those weren't actual angels. Those were the sons of Seth. And they came in, and they weren't supposed to be commingling and stuff. And, and it wasn't really giants. It was just like the average Jew is like five foot tall, so these guys are probably like six foot one. You have to explain why the dude had a 13-foot bed. Because either he likes his space... Or he was really tall. But it's weird. But how do we know it was true? It's in the Word. And Jesus confirms the Word by quoting it so much. I mean, if you can prove the New Testament is true, you get the Old Testament thrown in because, my goodness, they quote it all the time. You see, it's, it, yeah, it's weird. And there's weird stuff in there. But we can't try to protect people from their Bible. And we do that all the time. I mean, we've got theistic evolutionists that they believe in, in Darwin evolution, but that God was the one that was leading it. I had one tell me that each day was a separation of the, the kinds that went from, from water to life, or to plants, and then plants to life, and then animal kind life to man life, and that's how this all, all goes. And I'm sitting here reading this, and I'm like, how dumb can you be and still breathe? Like, and, but he was, he was convinced of it. Why? Well, science is telling us this. So is that really what God said? And we begin to question Scripture. We never question the science. We always question the Scripture. It's been going on since the very beginning. Because what is Scripture? It is the Word of God. Whether it be written down or is spoken to somebody, we question what He says all the time. Guys, we have got to get past this. And we're, we're, we're getting close to wrapping this up. 
But I'm hoping you guys are seeing where I'm going and why we're doing this. Because in the back of our mind, everything I'm saying, we all know, right? There's nothing new that I'm teaching you here. But I don't think we act like it's true. We, we know that God said to do these different things and we should do them, but we don't act like it's true. We don't act like sharing the gospel is the most important thing to us. We act like we'll get around to it. Or sometime there might be an opportunity. We've got to change our mindset. So we'll be wrapping this up here in a week or two, but we have really got to focus and know what the Word says. That way when the enemy comes, we can tell him exactly what God said.